Good evening and happy holidays, Trekkies, Trekkers, and to all you silicone-based life forms. Welcome to the newest episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss episode 11 of season 3 of Discovery, Sukal. I am Kevin, one of your hosts, and my other host is here with me. And I am the other host, Ethan, and I am ready to talk about the penultimate to the penultimate episode. We are, of course, recording this the day after Christmas. Was your holiday safe and cozy and all that? It was safe and effective. Safe and effective? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I did my, I did all my Christmas celebrating on Christmas Eve, which I don't normally do. So everything that we normally do on Christmas Day was done on Christmas Eve. So when I woke up the next morning, I was totally thrown off. I just forgot, totally forgot what day it was. So I spent Christmas Day on my own pretty much doing nothing because everything I had done happened the day before. Yeah, I went and visited uh, my parents for a little bit, but, you know, kept it brief and somewhat distant because they're older. Yeah. And then we came back home. And we opened presents in the morning, and I got some lovely presents from Julia. Mm. Yeah, I stayed home, I gamed, and I ate Thai food. There were places delivering food that day. Of course. So, of course. Yeah. I guess the, the relevant gift that I got was a Saru uh, Funko Pop. Yeah, so. you sent that to me. You texted that to me, and it was upside down. And I was like, I love the upside down Funko Pop <laughs> you got. But um, I showed you the thing I got. I I think I tweeted it out, but I got the uh, Star Trek Voyager A Celebration hardcover book that just came out. So I am uh, thumbing my way through it. And, um, not quite How is it? It's, it's, a, it's really good. It's really, really good. Um, I... I have to confess, I miss, and I know they, I know they've been coming out, but I haven't. I've sort of stayed off of it. But I miss, like, there was a period in the late '90s where I was always buying like those. Uh, I'm sure you did it with Star Wars, like with the big, those big like reference books that would come out, like the Star Trek Encyclopedia, the Star Trek Chronology, like all of these mm. really. So I haven't, you know, ever since the internet and Memory Alpha and all that stuff, I haven't really. Um, been doing that but getting that book it felt really great to actually uh do that for the first time in a long time and so it, felt, it feels yeah, very fun yeah um i i remember the, I, I haven't bought many recently but one i got sort of recently yeah. not really it's actually been years ago but i got the one the the art of the force awakens yeah and the interesting thing was that going through it i saw all these things and i and i remember there's a lot of unused concept art and I remember thinking, like, oh, this is so cool. I wish they had done this. But some of it was the Death Star being sunken into, a, like, an ocean and things that came up in later movies. So it was oh, kind of yeah. neat like, to see those early. It's, you know, I have I am, of course, a child of the Internet age, but I do have some old school things about me. And I never really took to reading books digitally. I've done it. You know, and I I read I'll read magazines and stuff on my iPad from time to time, but it just there's something about just having that book in front of you. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot. People who listen to us don't know this, but like I've been with you. You go into bookstores and you like you inhale books, you sniff books, and, oh, yeah. but like <laughs> and you can't do that with a and I know what you mean. Like it's like that new book smell, but like I remember there was we were like in like Porter Square Books and it was just. You make no secret of it. You just you you sniff it so loudly, and you were like sniffing every book. I'm like, stop it! And you're like, but they all smell different. The paper's different in all of them. 
Yeah, and the glue and all that. I love it. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, you're, yeah. getting, you're getting high off book fumes. And websites, I don't know, there's something about the physicality of it. Mm. I got the New Yorker and the Atlantic sent, and I'm so excited. When, I could Any day I could go online and read whatever the New Yorker has, but I don't until the magazine comes, and then but you know what is? I look at it. When you get, there's something about getting a new book and opening it for the first time, mm-hmm. and just, you know, the uncreased pages... Sort of like the noise the binder makes, the binding makes as soon as you open it, like that sort of like minor crackling noise, right? And mm-hmm. um, and you want to be careful with the pages to not crease them. And I just I love I love that I love I love that in a new book. So yeah. Period. Oh well. And trying to show me something. I love my bookcase. Oh, you were like, nobody can see as you were angling your webcam. And I was like, are you trying to show me something? Are you trying to turn a light on? I was showing it to you. Yeah, I was. Oh. Turn it on. Do you need to get up and turn it on? I can't. Oh, it doesn't work? I think it's unplugged or something. So, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a really nice sort of homey, old school feeling. And so I, you know, I have a bunch of books on my Amazon wish list that I'm going to start picking up pretty soon. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great book. Uh, it's a, it's a, and it's a, Massive one, actually. Uh, it's, I think it's just a hair under 300 pages. So uh, at some point, um, uh, maybe I'll give some kind of review on it when we're doing a podcast. But if we maybe if we talk more about Voyager. But uh, yeah, it's. I think it's worth picking up if you're, especially if you're a Voyager fan. It makes for a great coffee table book too. Now that I actually have a coffee table, I won't leave it on the coffee table. But wow, well, uh, okay. Well, when I come over, I'm going to take it out and read it on the coffee table. I tend to worry about leaving books on the coffee table because I feel like – because I do have a roommate. and But I feel like if you live with people, people tend to rest beverages on books on the coffee table. Well, that's – They're meant work. to be you know, conversation pieces and read them while you're there. But they're also meant to be decorative too and you don't want to put stuff on them. No. Yeah. you got to have a coaster at hand to discourage exactly. from that. you got to do the curb your enthusiasm thing. you got to respect wood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, to call. Yeah, to call. Uh, ver- so, uh, I, mm, now, I don't want, based on the noises I just made, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I did enjoy the episode. I, because I, as I was telling you, I was into the drama of it. I was into the circumstances of the episode itself. But there were just things around it that I could not, that were kind of frustrating to me. Um, And I think it, so I would say, maybe I would say this. As a standalone episode, fully engaged into it, great. When it when it began to tie everything back to the larger story arc, then I began to run into problems here. Right. I, I felt that it's interesting. It was my, my opinion on sort of the things the episode was doing was flipped because yeah. usually I'm very not interested in the action or the space battles right. or the fighting. Right. And I'm more interested in the, the story parts and the mm. planets and all that. Whereas in this episode, <clears throat> I very, very much more enjoyed 
what was happening on Discovery than what was yeah. happening on the planet, which was interesting because when it, they first got to the planet, I was very intrigued and I was surprised. And my feeling was, oh, this show very so rarely surprises me, right? In a, in a way that I enjoy. So that was nice. And then, but then, as we'll, we'll get into it later, but then I kind of lost interest in what was happening mm. quickly on the planet. Yeah. Um, so I will say, why don't we? Would it make sense if we discussed sort of the things that we liked and the things we didn't like, or maybe? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I have notes, of course, and maybe it wouldn't make sense if I, because my notes are mixed in that sense with things I liked and things I didn't like. But, but essentially, the plot of the episode is that they finally, finally get to the location of where the burn originated from which is in the center of this nebula on this downed ship. And um, it's funny, there was a moment in that when they find... So we find out when they get to this location that it's a planet rich in dilithium, right? It's a, it's a dilithium nursery. And there was something that Michael said that reminded me of... Some, I, don't, I don't remember what it was... But it was a couple weeks ago, I think it was in the first part of this two-part episode, where she said something where you were like, yeah, we knew that already. And the same thing happened again here. So when they get there, Oh, I think it like, was that um, when someone said, oh, the chain is running out of dilithium. Right. And so, so like, uh, when yeah. we, as we arrive at this new planet and they find out it's rich in dilithium, Michael's like, I think we just found the origin of the burn. And I was like, yeah, we knew that already. That's why you came here. That's one of the reasons why you came here, Michael. The only reason they went there. I mean, there was a distress signal, yes, but it well, was said. It was stated right. specifically two, three weeks ago. This is where the burn began, and it's like this big dramatic moment. She goes, "I think we just found the source of the burn," and then it just. Oh uh, yeah, that's. And then it just jump cuts to the, to the um, opening credits, and I was like, "Yes, we knew that." I know Once again, that. I think they're they're choosing to repeat and emphasize the wrong things. Right. So I, I don't know. I thought that was pretty. At the same time, I thought it was pretty funny because I was just like, "Yes, Michael, we know." <laughs> yeah. You may not have been at the the morning briefing, but we were. But they get there, and so they decide to go down to this planet, which is where this down ship was. Now, I gotta say, here's my question for you: What? Like, they knew, they had known for weeks that there was a distress call on this planet, like, and that it was a Kelpian. So, maybe my memory is failing me. Like, why did it take them, like, four episodes to get there? You know, like, how come they didn't go um, right, like, why, no, why didn't they go no. right away? Actually, so it's weird, right? It took four episodes, but... It didn't take any time, hardly, because two of those episodes happened in one minute. True. So true. You can consider that. So really, like the flow of time. Ago. We did not experience. I'm not experiencing the flow of time. But yes. I, but I guess I haven't found out who was with Michael while that happened. But but like I, I, even then, though, I know it's a couple of episodes for me. But nevertheless. It just, I don't know. I just feel like they, I feel like the way the show was laid out, it took them too long to get to this location when they should have. Right. Yeah. So it, it, I'm getting frustrated a little bit with this sort of like slow, with this sort of like dripping, slow drip of the plot. 
I don't want to say slow burn because it sounds like I'm making a pun and I'm not. But they're, they're dripping this along so slowly, and I'm get I guess I'm getting impatient with all of this. Like just go, just go. Well, I, I think, and I think the biggest problem is that if you're going to drip it along, yeah. then the payoff better be good. You better be. And I, I think we'll both agree that we didn't like which will right? which we'll get into. So yes. um, yeah, so I think yeah. Overall, the things I liked first off is just I was into the story, I was into the action because this is a plotline I care about, right? This is something I want to see continue. I wanted to see continued. The season began with us on the burn, and then it just got relegated to the background for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So now that they're finally revisiting it. That's one of the reasons why I, I was, you know, really kind of, you know, super into what was going on. Yeah, I, I too, I was into it at first, and as far as things that yeah. I liked, I really liked Tilly's um, taking over of the yep. command. Same. I really liked the chain for the first time. Yep. And I felt the threat of the chain. I had some issues with some Agreed. of it. We'll talk Agreed. about later, but yep. I mean. If I wish that earlier in the season we had seen the chain do something similar to another powerful ship, exactly. then we would have actually felt the threat. Exactly. And because it was really well done, once we saw it, it was like, wow, Discovery has doesn't stand a chance. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's always neat to see when you know you you come to know your ship and your crew as being pretty formidable, and then suddenly they're overpowered pretty easily. It's right. like the Borg. It's like when we first see the Borg. Exactly. And and but don't forget when we first see the Borg, not only are they overpowering, the Enterprise doesn't defeat them. Q right. hurls them away. So yeah. well, but I think this also attempts to explain that away. But that's good that they do it that way. That they, they did it right. that way. Yeah. Um. Uh, so I really did like that, and then I liked it when they first got to the planet, and mm. when they were all different species yep. it was fantastic because i was generally intrigued mm-hmm. and surprised well i liked that they once again went down to a location some weird shit's going on like it began to feel familiar in terms of a star trek episode right i mean whether you liked what they did like what they encountered is a different story, but the fact that they actually there's more of these there's not enough of these away mission missions throughout the show, right? Where they really are going down, they're beaming, and they don't know what to expect. Exactly, which was the case a lot more on shows, right? Trek shows, and so I was glad that they were actually doing it this time. I I did think of you when I was watching the episode because, it, as we know, it ended up being a holodeck episode. And I, I was kind of curious whether you enjoyed that aspect of it or not. I hated it. You hated it. I hated it. Mm. Um, I, I, I guess that's not totally true. Like, I liked the idea of it, and it made sense that if she knew she was going to die and her kid was going to live, and the kid was yeah. probably very young, that she would do this. So that, I like the concept of it. The idea of somebody being raised in a holodeck, to me, is very interesting. Yes, that was yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and I liked even, especially the Vulcan that they encounter. Right. Because, I, you know, seeing a Vulcan be a Vulcan, we don't get enough of that. Mm. And so I really enjoyed that. And getting the data and how it was all because of the radiation, it was all kind of malfunctioning. Right. W- that I liked a lot. Um, and I like that 
Tukal was, uh, uh, you know, mentally unstable because, of course, you would be if you were only raised by it, no matter how good your programming of the right. hologram is. Though I do have to say, Tukal's mom was as good of a holo- hologram programmer as Boimler because she was yes. able to create this rich world yeah. uh, just as Boimler was. I, I liked the imagery of – so the location that they went to was incredible. Um, it was actually a – physical location that they filmed that in. Um, there wasn't a lot of green screening in that location. So it was, I think they said they, on the, on the, uh, behind the scenes, they said they had filmed it at a, at a prison, at a former prison. I think that was going to be demolished, I believe. But, um, so there wasn't a whole lot of, that they had to do. You know, they obviously had to add some special effects because they do have gormaganders flying around in the sky. But, um, so a lot of, a lot of what we saw was really there. And I liked the idea. It was it was very. What the show has not done enough of is some of the stuff that TNG did a lot of in its early days. Was TNG was very good at making things eerie. If they were going on a weird ship or a weird, they were really good at that. And I think it was extremely eerie to go down onto this ship. And even though we were in a holodeck, granted we didn't know that in the beginning. Um, at least I don't think we did. I liked seeing these sort of all of these hollow characters coming up at once but sort of being slightly you know out of phase or like they were like um you know uh glitching out and whatnot there was something very haunting almost ghost-like about it that i that i just thought was really that really worked so um that was that was really cool and you know obviously we are as equally confused as the characters are from discovery going down there not knowing what the hell they're beaming into yes now here Um, i'll tell you where where it lost me totally and i started to hate it as soon as we saw that locked door yep with the something behind it and then i realized that oh we're in a a very elaborate cg metaphor yeah and the villain will be a metaphor for the and then personally what they said it's just fear and he has to face it that i just thought this is terrible yeah and i did not care anymore i don't want to i i it's first off, it's a cliched metaphor. It, it is. It is. And secondly, is. I get, I get you. It just didn't add up. So, what if you created this environment for your kid to be raised in? Yep. How did it wind up becoming a fantasy environment of, you know? Right. It just didn't make sense to me. And then the smoke monster, um. Being the fear. That Sorry, when you say really smoke hated. monster, you're making me think of right. Lost. But didn't it sort of it was Lost. had the smoke yeah. all around. Well, and it, it was, was yeah. It was so over designed and I, elaborate and probably expensive and totally pointless. I actually thought it looked genuinely terrifying when I saw it. Yeah, but and what you're saying is that this is a holodeck program. Why would you? Why would you put something in there that is scary? Right. right. And clearly it came from him. Even though it's raising him, he has to know what fear is. And it's his fear, they say. Right. And, it, and I can sort of see where it's going. Right. In that his fear is that he doesn't want – he's afraid of thinking about like the loss of his mother and what things were like before. And he mm. has to face that fear. And I, I just am not really there for it. I got a little lost in it because that monster was in the Kelpian texts. But I felt like I wasn't clear on how it actually came into ex- I, I get it as far as being in the ancient Kelpian texts. But I guess I was a little unclear. Maybe I have to watch it again. On how it came into existence within the 
holodeck program like did he just did it just happen because he was saying it this this kelpian i know we're jumping around but like so because we later encountered this kelpian elder with a story with who has this book that has all the ancient kelpian stories and whatnot and that monster is mentioned in there and so i'm thinking like so did it basically come to existence because this kelpian is reading it out loud so i i feel like that was a little that to me felt a little ambiguous but maybe i just have to watch maybe i just missed a line of dialogue which is not hard to do on this show no i i so. think i don't think that the book would do it yeah that's like saying if you if you made if you if you made a i don't know you put the bible into a holograms i mean you have to have the four horsemen of the apocalypse literally like yeah, I guess. animated yeah um it just said they, they said it directly like that's his fear so somehow his fear manifested into part of a hologram, which that's where they lost me, and that's where I don't care anymore. What were your thoughts on the characters? So so Burnham, Saru, and Culbert beam down to this ship yes, and into this holodeck. And so as soon as they appear, they their appearances change. She Great. becomes Trill. Culber, uh, Burnham becomes a Trill. Culbert becomes a Bajoran. And Saru becomes a human, and we get to see Doug Jones perform without his prosthetic on. He had a wig on because he has to shave his head when he um, right performs as Saru. But um, I like the idea of it. I thought that was cool. I just don't think it made sense in the story because they explain that oh, it's so something about like so you don't appearance doesn't frighten him, and yet every species we see, we see all of their species in that simulation anyway. Right. We see and humans. We see so, yeah. Yeah, we never got a good explanation as to why those appearances would not frighten him. Right. And so this is I have a prediction that I don't know. It's a little wild, but I yeah. believe the Saru's will die next episode. And I think this is because I think partially one of the things is like, oh, let's give Doug Jones a chance to like not have to put on the makeup for one episode before we kill him off. Well, okay, you're kind of giving me the context, so because um, I do want to bring this up. So I don't know if I agree with him dying, but there seems to be this belief on the message boards, and I maybe it's just something I'm missing. Maybe I'm just not following it properly. Some seem to think that Saru is going to lose his captaincy. Well, that's clear. So... I don't think I agree with it, but I think it's been pointing in that direction. Why and why do you think so? Okay. Is well, this the emotional stuff? So is that we're yeah, gonna, so it's good. Okay. This is a chance for me to talk about that. So, okay. Um, and, and I will point out why I don't like it either. Okay. So we heard early on Vance was concerned that yeah. Saru was acting too emotionally. This is an excellent point you bring up, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. So... When he saw the hologram of the doctor, uh, Tukal's mom, who was a Kelpian, Sending and we made the joke point. of like, oh, he hasn't seen a Kelpian so long and he's horny. Mm. But Vance said, I think your, your emotions might be guiding you too much here because you haven't seen a Kelpian in so long. Yeah. Uh, so like you, you want to go to this place to see what's going on and you're not thinking clearly about it. And he says, no, 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 I'm acting clearly and all that. So anyway, eventually Vance lets him go. Right. So it's already in Vance's mind that he's acting too emotionally. Then yep. they're on the planet and things start to go south and they have to go back to the ship. Mm-hmm. And 
I think that Saru makes a normal command decision and says, I'm the captain. Discovery's under attack. I need to go back to yep. deal with this. Michael, you stay here and figure out whatever. And then Michael says, Saru, you're acting too emotional. Yeah. And I feel like they, they move the goalpost on the poor guy because first it's because he wants to go to where yes. the Kelpian is, that he's being too emotional. Now he wants to leave the Kelpian to go back to the ship, which is probably the right du- duty-wise. That's what a captain should do. And Michael right. says, no, you need to be the one to stay here. So it, I don't think it makes logical sense, but I think the show is insisting that he's acting what, too emotional. What you're saying makes perfect sense because they're using – they're pointing out that he is Kelpian for both good and bad. Yes. Like, which is not fair. Wanting to go there is too right. emotional because he's Kelpian, but then wanting to leave there is too emotional too. So I would say that going back to your ship when it's under attack – is would be standard procedure. That's what a captain should do. And you're reminding me of something now that you mentioned this, because when we were discussing this before, I just didn't come to mind. Now I'm remembering it. Do you remember at the beginning of first contact, the, like the first few minutes of first contact, um, the enterprise is out by the neutral zone. They learn that there's a Borg vessel. Picard's talking to Starfleet. He says the Borg vessel headed towards earth. And then Picard's having his meeting with the senior staff. And they said, you know, there's a Borg vessel heading to earth. And they said, well, Maximum warp, it'll take us how long to get there. And Picard says, oh, we're not going. And he's like, they're like, well, why? And he says, because our orders are, are to patrol the neutral zone in case the Romulans take advantage. Point, point is, the reason they didn't go was because Starfleet did not want him to go because he was a Borg and they felt that they had every confidence in the Enterprise's crew, but not about their captain because yeah. the captain was once a Borg. Yeah. Now, obviously, Picard, now obviously, Picard throws all, other, all that out the window and goes anyway. But I'm sure they thought one of two things could happen. Either he still might have some, like, Borg in him, or right. he could be so, like, triggered by seeing right. the Borg again that he might act rashly. Right. Which, I mean, we could you could argue, like, he behaved irrationally all throughout the movie, but it still got the job done and the Borg were defeated. Right? Because he did at that moment where he was saying, like, you know, the line must be drawn here and all that other stuff. But, you know, that was audience stuff. Everybody, everybody loved that. You know, Saru would not have a moment like that in some right. ways, right? And, like, and the other thing is that... In Picard's case, it was like a revenge story. Yeah. And there was another bit earlier for Saru when he said that his planet was under attack. And he said, oh, we can jump there right away. And Vance said, no, 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 we need you to go do this. And he and he just said, okay, cool. Like, he wasn't... Right. He asked if you wanted, do you want me to jump there? But it wasn't like he was insisting, I have to defend my planet. So I don't know. I think that Saru has been acting fine. I think it's strange to me because remember like when he there's – there's a case I think close to the Picard stuff, what I was just talking about last season in one of my favorite episodes of the season. Um, uh, God, I'm, now I'm just blanking on the name. When the Ba'ul are attacking his homeworld. Mm-hmm. Um, shit, I'm totally blanking on the name. But anyway – um, and he's acting, he's like flipping out on Captain Pike, like, let me go down, let me do this. And Pike's like, no. Mm. And I think for that same reason, no. Now that was what, yeah. that would be acting too emotionally. The Sounds of Thunder was the name of it, sorry. Okay. Yeah. That is acting too emotionally. Yeah. If, he, if he had pulled that with Vance, then I could totally see the case for him losing his command. Right. But I, it, the other evidence that I think is important is just that the parting words of Giorgio. Mm. 
and just the fact that this show is very Michael based. So, um, so you think, and, and there's one more bit of evidence, mm. the, the pep talk that Michael gave to Tilly, which really, really worked for me. It I liked did. it a lot. I love that moment. And here's why I love that moment. Yeah. So many times throughout Trek. Now, this is something not too unlike something that I think Lower Decks may have done, although it would have done more humorous. What I mean by that is all throughout history, we just will just see the captain just say to almost anybody, take the con. And they do it without any problem. Right? Right. Normal people, even trained ones, would have some trepidation about it. And you can attribute that to, and, and they just do it. Right, and you can attribute that to the whole Roddenberry thing, like humans are flawless, so that sort of thing, right? Which yeah, mm. and for all we know, with those characters, they've done it a hundred times before, possibly, because we haven't seen their whole but, experience. But what about the first time you have to do it? Right, right, and and when I, the reason I bring up Lower Decks is because Lower Decks did a really good job of me of of shining a light on things that I was that I always was like, hmm, I, like how does that actually work or something, and. Then, in the you know in their defense they would do it in a much more humorous way but they sort of bring these things up mm-hmm. that they just feel like need to be mentioned because we just accept it that that's the way it is yeah it's a little bit like sort of trying to choose a um a line to to get the ship to move right there are these little nooks and crannies within the within like the command structure of Starfleet or just Star Trek in general that we don't really know much about because we just accept how it's done that moment to your point. Totally works. We never see a moment like that before, right? And I, the other thing I really liked is the, she's still the Ensign, show, by the way. What this show so rarely does is who's an Ensign? Tilly. She's still an Ensign. She's oh, not, but she's number one. She's acting number one. She's not yeah, actually number one. That's yeah. true. Yeah. The thing I like too is that this show rarely does is it 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 drew on its own past. Yeah. Right by bringing up the real Giorgio and. Yeah on the other ship, Shenzhou, right? Mm-hmm. Like that yep. was something that shows would do. And that works so well because like, we've been along for this ride. Use your own history. You don't have to always go to the Star Trek history, right? Use your own. So I thought that was really nice. It was this emotional connection. And you know, we all, everyone seemed to really like the character of the original George O. So it's like this way of tying it all together, which was really nice. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was great. I love that moment. Yeah, and Michael may not have been captain, but she was number one on that ship, so she, right. you know, she knows what's going on. I did have one small issue with it. Okay. <laughs> so a burr. There's a burr under the seat. Obviously, your first thought is like, "This is the future. Can't they make things without burrs?" A burr is like a little shard of metal that's like a after, like a, it's a little flaw in the creation of mm-hmm. the structure out of metal. Yeah. And, of course, our, my first thought is, wouldn't they be able to get rid of it in the future? Now, mm-hmm. so, full disclosure, my dad worked in a machine shop, and his title was D-Burrer, which means he got rid of burrs. <laughs> so, so, in the 20th century, they had a system. show him that clip. <laughs> in the 20th century, there was a system to get rid of burrs. Mm. Yet, I mean, it was a weird one. It was very 20th century. Hire a person to do it. Mm. But... Um, they don't have one there now. Maybe them and just like that, whatever. Something yeah. from the construction. So okay, that's fine. But then when we saw her put her thumb under it, that yep. was not a burr. That was like a round thing. Right. 
Now, maybe there was a burr on the round bit, but well, still. It looked like it was like something that was placed there. Like I thought, I don't see how that's a... I could, if it's like a groove, maybe I get it, but it was something sticking out. Yeah, it should be like a sharp piece of metal, yeah. almost like a splinter of metal. That's what <laughs> and so are you is. thinking to yourself like, oh my god, they're jabbing, themselves, <laughs> they're jabbing themselves with a sharp piece of metal? Well, that is what they're doing, yeah. So, yeah. like, give that little bit of pain to, like, bring them back to focus, which but, I thought was pretty cool. They're saying this before we even see it, and you're just like, what the hell are they doing? Well, I, well, I guess it's my, my intimate knowledge of burrs. Yeah. I was, I was but it's, it's, to avoid, it's to avoid injury. What? Like, like, a, like somebody who deburrs. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. It's to avoid injury, because that's what well, it is. Or to make right? sure that the parts work properly. Right. Because like they won't fit together right. If there's a burr with two pieces, that are supposed to come together. It's not going right. to be a tight fit. Right. But I like yeah. that. It was. It's like a. She identified a sort of a sort of like nervous tick. Yeah. Yeah. And also like just to to so you're not getting overwhelmed. Mm. Like focus on the pain in your thumb instead of the stress. Or yeah. Um. So we. I and I, I totally agree. I love that moment. I want to talk about Michael emotional moment that worked. I want to jump ahead really quick. So I, I want to address the elephant in the room. And, you know, people listening, obviously, they've watched the episode. And I know we're not kind of going in an order. We're kind of all over the place on this one. But I think it's okay. Okay. Well, actually, before we get to the elephant in the room, I just want to mention one more weird scene that okay. shocked me. So there was a scene where Saru – no, wait. Yeah, Saru and Stamets yep. are going through the different rooms. Mm-hmm. And one of them said – they're looking for Tukal – who looked a weird? It looked way too much like Freddy Krueger for my like. There was a very weird Freddy Krueger vibe to him because he had a yeah. smoother face than than um, Saru. Yeah, but um, one of uh, them says, "Can anyone hear us?" And then the other one says, "He must be in here." And I don't understand how because yelling, nobody... "Can anyone? Can anyone hear us?" and getting no response would lead you to believe that they must be in that room. Again, it's just the thing where like no, there's there's no something's not happening with the writing. There's it's, not a like a final pass to make sure everything makes sense. I have I, I go through this with people like on the phone sometimes on meetings like you know you have to dedicate those few minutes to like audio setup like can people hear and and you think it's a joke but it's not like I, I'll, there'll be times I literally say can you hear me no I'm like well obviously you did because you just responded to me <laughs> yeah right. No, you mean I can, you can't hear me very well, but you can still hear me. Yeah. Right. Um, it's just so weird. They're in this search of many, many rooms, and this one they've decided must have the person in it because. Yeah. So. so anyway, just a goofy goof. Well. Forgive me for leaping ahead because there's so much more to no, discuss. No, go for but it. I really want to get to the big reveal this week. You know, okay. I know what you're going to say, but it's funny because when it happened... Or it's supposed to be a big reveal, but it was it not a big reveal. It didn't even register to me as a big reveal until right. after. Right. Okay, go ahead. So so we learn that... We learn the cause of the burn. A burr, burnum, and the burn. Just, I just want to point that out. And the cause of the burr. Yeah. From burnum. Um, <laughs> that... <laughs> That's that was the main story. They're looking for the cause of the burr, not the burn. <laughs> okay, sorry. That Sukal is the cause of the burn because because really he had a meltdown. So when that's he, all it was. When he because, gets scared, 
he is somehow not unlike Spock in the search for Spock. He's somehow connected to the planet. Like Spock was sort of connected to the Genesis planet. And every time the planet, you know, had some kind of seismic event, he would have a reaction. Right. So I saw a parallel there. Right. Mm -hmm. Just on that, on that. But he, Sukal, because he has some communion with this planet, this dilithium nursery of a planet, he, what was it like? He he like had well, a. Listen, his he's he's been all his DNA has been altered by the dilith. He had a freak out. Yeah. And he sent it because he sort of did it in the episode, like at a smaller scale, I think. But exactly. He. He he caused a huge event. He caused the burn just by essentially having a freak out, having yes. a tantrum. And while you were explaining that, I now have a prediction, and I don't like it. But I, I'm so confident this is what it's going to be. Uh, yeah. You ready? So since Discovery always has everything as an emotional angle to it. Of course. Unearned I most think of the time. Here's when the burn happened. When his mom died. Mm-hmm. Because that, he was very sad, right? He was grief-stricken. He probably had a freak-out because who wouldn't? The only, per- only person is there is your parent and they die. Uh, yeah, I mean, that to me almost that doesn't even matter, like be, to me anyway, because well, right, because I don't like the whole idea. I don't like the idea of how it happened at all. What caused him to have that reaction is immaterial to me, because what ended up being the cause of the burn, I find to be very disappointing. Yes, agreed. And yeah, because remember we were saying we thought book had something to do with it in the beginning. Right, like anything would have been better than this. And I had said it seemed like the burn happened much sooner than than it really did. Right. Right. It it seems like... Ah, it's just gobbledygook. It's, you know... You know, it's really gobbledygook. You know, I think it's because... I don't know if it's the show doing it, or if it's just our expectations, but you, you, you... there was something about the way it was presented to us, the way it was presented to us, whether it was in like promos or the way the characters spoke of it, the uncertainty behind it, right? Something of that scale. Yeah. There was something about it that felt like it had to have been, I mean, maybe this is like something deliberate. Like, like, is it possible I mean, granted, I don't know what I thought it was, right? But I can say this: I don't think it was. I, I was not thinking it was an accident. I and thought there was not some like intention that it was because it. a kid was so upset well, or angry. I mean, it could because that doesn't because that's nonsense. I mean, and maybe I don't even know if I should call it an accident. But like, in other words, I thought that I at least thought there was some sort of motive behind it, right? And I don't know. Maybe there still is. Could there have been something that was intentionally done to trigger him? I, I don't know. I don't know if even that would change anything. But no, I, I, I stand by my prediction that it will be because here's some more evidence. When when Michael was trying to get him, which this was a nice scene, honestly, because mm. when Michael was pretending to be a hollow. That was a wonderful scene. That I like that because I was going to bring that one up, too. 
it was smart, and I liked it. It was seeing Michael almost act Vulcan again, which I liked. Right. And when she tried to get him to think about before the hollows, when his mom would have been around, that's when he started to freak out. Yeah. So I do think that that's why. And I do think that they're going to play up the emotional part of the burn, which is too bad. I I just thought that maybe like there could have been, there was something with, there was an intelligence behind it. There was a motive behind it. Like there was some, would it have been possible at some point that the Federation, you know, maybe encountered some enemy that was greater than they thought. And it, it was able to construct some kind of event that brought them to their knees or, or just completely, I don't know. I'm, I, you know, I, I will say this, whether you like how it turned out or don't like it, I, you, you can't tell me you saw something like that coming. No, no. And I just, I, I don't, yeah. I don't know why. It's right. Cause we, we go in and they say, okay, we have to go toward this. It's a big anomaly, a big cloud or whatever. It's a storm right. in space. Right. So you think it's right. going to be something natural, right? which is more interesting to me. It reminds me, it reminded me of, of you know, there would be episodes of, um, uh, we always bring it back to next gen, but next gen where there was some strange natural phenomenon happening that they had to counter. Like, right. I'm thinking of the one where that moon was going to crash into the planet. Mm hmm. And they had to figure out how to make it not, and and they had to, you know, so like fighting against nature in the, well, not even nature, like cosmic forces. And that was really interesting, and that was a great challenge. Um, but then to bring it down to this level where it's a one character and their emotional reaction. I mean, okay, so we've talked about before how we really bummed out how this show, things will happen, big things. And there's no possible way to predict them because they don't seed clues. They just, boom, there it is. Right. So there's nothing to figure out. So they, they give us a mystery, but there's no way to figure it out because it's going to be some M. Night Shyamalan-like twist that you can't see coming. They seem more interested in just wanting to surprise the audience rather than have it make sense. They just seem right. to want to surprise the audience, and that's it. Yeah, that when it makes, a really yeah. crappy surprise. So, and look, I'm, I'm willing to, we've got two episodes left. I'm willing to abstain some judgment. Maybe we'll learn more, but I'm not going to hold my breath. I don't know that whether they add more to it to make it more interesting. I don't know if that changes anything. Because, I just hope they get it over with quick. Right. That's the so, best I can hope for. The next episode, they deal with it. It's over. We find out that it's when his mom died and he got sad. And right. then um, but, Saru says, I'm going to stay here with him to because uh, he's too upset and whatever. Yeah. And then, I don't know, somehow Saru dies and then they defeat the metaphor monster and then they just have a last episode that's just a normal episode. Now, I have other things in this episode to talk about, but I want there was one specific point I wanted to mention that kind of applies to the whole season as a whole. But this is relevant. And I, I have a list of other things I'm going to discuss, but let me let me. Let me sort of backtrack a little bit on this. So one thing that I'm losing track of, we're not losing track of, but I think the season itself has lost track of, is 
where is that sense of hope? Where is that sense that we, where is that feeling we got at the end of that hope is you part one? That hope is you, Michael. Rebuilding the Federation. Where, you know, where is that theme throughout the season? Right? Because they arrive at Federation headquarters, the Starfleet headquarters at this point, and now they're just following orders, right? Now, you and I talked about if they solve the burn, so what? What does that mean? Yes, is the because, Federation suddenly, yeah. right? Now, there's right. this. Michael stuff. insisted that Federation cannot get back to its full strength until they find the source of the burn. Right. Never explained how that makes any sense. Right. And now you have this dilithium nursery, which I assume holds the key to getting the universe sort of back into its sort of pre-burn state, right? But where I'm going with this is if that planet is the key to restoring all of this, Uh. I get no sense of that theme continuing throughout the season of them wanting to get the Federation up and running again. I've, I've seen, you know, we got it. We got a nice amount of it in unification three. Right. But like, where is that sort of like fish out of water discovery, doing things the old way, needing to approach it this way, that sort of thing and wanting to restore who we used to be. Where is that? Cause you could, you could, you could tie Man, that into this, right? That was the whole – that was set up to as if that were the theme for the season. That's what we were sold on this season. But they don't stick to anything. Right. And they lost that so fast, and we said it. I mean, hell, they didn't even finish. <laughs> they didn't even finish. They gave us part one and not part two. I, right. So and clearly so, they abandoned it. But don't you feel like, Mr. Wright, Mr. Writing Teacher, that if that's a theme they were going to stick with – you could like think about it. You could have a moment in this episode where they say, "Like we found a dilithium nursery." That's got to be a big deal because somebody somebody could say, "Oh my god!" Like think about like somebody could say some character could have the verbal realization and say, "Think about what that could do." That could end all of these. Osira needs it. Federation. That could end all of these hostilities Conflict, because yeah. now there's a. You know what I mean? This is the answer to all of our problems right here. Yeah. Or, but if they had also established that, like, they're spreading the the way of civility and, and cooperation around the galaxy, and, but they can't spread it everywhere because they don't have enough dilithium, right. and now the dilithium would allow them to do it, that would have been cool, too. But we haven't seen them spread uh, cooperation and um, civility around the galaxy. Exactly. We've seen them fight some people and, you know, do some cool stuff here and there, and... Yeah, they gotta beat up the bad guys. Yeah, and like that's that's the thing that's troubling to me. Now, well, actually, to be fair, they did it on Earth. It was cool because on Earth they did they solved it. That's why it was one of the hopeful episodes for me mm. that they would turn it around because they solved it not through violence, but they they came to an agreement. They said, let's you know, it was that it was a very Starfleet attitude of right. if we just talk it out and come to a compromise we can we can end this conflict and they did that was great now if we had seen more of that like every week they were settling these you know terrible situations in the galaxy through you know negotiation and cooperation yeah. that would have been fantastic well again they they i would say in the first i don't know quarter of the season they seemed to be sticking to that theme a bit, you know, quite a bit. And then they decided that 
oh, we want to do other things. We now want to focus on, you know, let's dedicate a whole episode to Book and his brother. Let's dedicate two episodes to getting George O off the show. Let's, you know, yeah, and let's dedicate another episode of freeing Book from a from a from a prison planet. Like I still see the the attempt. So, for instance, with his brother, how in the end his brother first just wanted to fight, and then but eventually he came around to side with Federation. But it was so poorly done that it was all lost in the jumble. It was not a. It was not a. Well, it was not a compelling story, and I, I would say, in my opinion, that that adds more weight to that. Like, if it was a component, it would have been like, okay, well, you know, they didn't move the burn story, but that was still a good episode. Yes, right? and it still at least advanced that theme of so bringing Starfleet values back. I get extra frustrated if it's not a good episode. You, you stray away from the main mystery, but then you also don't tell me a good episode. And then, like... And you, you, you're still not doing your stated mission. And look, like, I'm, I'm fine with the George O episodes, but, like... You're you're telling these story. You're dedicating two episodes to getting her off the show, which is fine if it's a standalone show. But you also have this other stuff to. Because I I said to you the other day, I said I think I stumbled on another on something else on the show. I said I think they just need to quit with these season long arcs because they don't seem like they know how to do them properly. No, they, they don't just, take advantage of it. Like, and, and I'm like, they're fine at these standalone episodes. I have no problem with that, because if it's a bad episode, it's like, okay, we'll forget about that next week. Yes, if the burn, this was one episode, we found out it was this kid, I would say, oh, that was terrible. Hopefully we'll do better next week. I mean... But here's another thing you just said, and I realized something again. And I, I'm good at pointing out these missed opportunities, because you are. I'm, a writing, I'm a writing teacher, I'm not a writer. Right, but, little, you know, but, but you know really. about but you know about seeding things early, right? And I can, it's more like what I'm good at is seeing the opportunity and then telling the person writing it, "Hey, go right. do this; it'll be better." So, right, you might have talked about Giorgio. Mm. Think about how Giorgio could have been a parallel for the galaxy. Giorgio is about warfare and conflict, yeah. but through Discovery's values, they were able to turn her. To be more compassionate and civilized. Mm-hmm. That could have been a parallel for what they were doing in the galaxy. What a great opportunity. Not Right. Because she says in the second episode, I'm going to enjoy this new world. And she even says to Michael when she's leaving, this world is a lot like the, the world I yeah. left. And by the but, end, though, she has lost some of her uh, Terran ways. And she's not willing to just kill to get ahead. But I think even so early she on. She has been um, reformed toward the values of federation which but I think, is what should be happening in the galaxy but it isn't and i think even on like either saru somebody says to her like you know you may have your way of doing things but we still have to follow we're still gonna you know this is before they re you know re-encounter starfleet i'm not even sure if it still exists like the voyager approach we're still going to stay true to our principles we're not going to just abandon who we were because of this uncertainty right so they would have kept her in line regardless or at least attempted to and that I think what you mentioned is a, is a is an excellent point. Absolutely. Um, it's such about so many missed opportunities. Well, I have another missed opportunity. Well, not a missed opportunity, but something that lacked setup. But in order to discuss it, I have to. We have to talk about um, Osira and the Emerald Chain showing up. So okay. Now here's something that I liked. It worked. Finally. It worked. The the everything from Chili taking command. 
to the the appearance of uh, the chain. I mean, I still think the chain and Osira are dumb villains, but right, I so, was at least pulled into the drama of the moment. Yes, there were some things I have issues with. Yes. <laughs> um, but one of my favorite things mm. was Tilly. It was a bummer the way it turned out. I'll explain. So I really like Tilly as captain. I know they didn't do the Star Trek thing here. Go on. And I liked how she dealt with the problem. So when they got the signal of the ship that was Federation, you saw her go through her thought process. Yes. And she had a very scientific approach to it, and it was so good. Yep. And she was able to figure it out. The issue was that she figured it out, and it didn't matter. <laughs> if one thing that Star Trek is really good has been really good at in the past, and I this is why I point to the Corbomite Maneuver as my favorite episode of all time, is when they're in circumstances above their heads and always manage to somehow rise above it when they just feel like there's no way to get out of this. Mm-hmm. But they somehow find their way through and get out of it. Kirk bluffed his way through an entire encounter with an alien, knowing that he was outgunned and he got and they got through it, right? Yeah. It's like you did that a lot. If given that this was Tilly's first time in the in the in the in the command chair, how great would that have been if she somehow got out of it? Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I realized the point. Because she figured out that it was not a Federation ship, and it was right. probably the chain, and she did right. it so well. Now, I and get she that she tried to kind of bluff with their attitude. Now, I get that do. you event you as a writer, you know, or you want Osira to gain control of the ship. If that's what you need to do, fine. Yeah. So maybe this particular moment with Tilly was not suited for this episode. If there was a way to do it early on, when they got away from the chain at some point, you yeah, know, or something, yeah. or at least maybe like she would have done it and it would have given them like a little head start, so they would have done like a little bit better against them. Right. But it was like as soon as she figured it out, they were in control of the ship. Right. Now, let's was a bummer. Let's talk about something really quick. So, Osira is coming to the planet because apparently. Apparently, she wants Discovery in the Spore Drive, which is new. Yeah. I, well, I thought maybe I missed something before where I saw found out that she knew about the Spore Drive and no. wanted it. No. Like, so, okay, mm-hmm. it was established early on by that Andorian guy. Well, I don't even remember if he's still on the ship or not. I have no idea. Is he still around? I don't even remember. Um, That's a good question. Where, where he says to Tilly, of all people, actually... As a big reveal, she's running low on dilithium, and we're like, oh, yeah. well, right, everybody is. Yeah. Why is that a big deal? Thanks, buddy. Right? And that so, was the, okay. And that was the secret that she was going to track him to the ends of the of the galaxy to, to, to not let get out. Right. So, I don't. Even, I, I actually don't even know if he's still on board Discovery. But, he went um, wherever uh, Book's brother went, I guess. I have to memory alpha that, because I actually, I'm not sure. Because um, people on the show tend to vanish for weeks and weeks, and then, and then come just, back, just, and then just, just return. And you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about them. Um, so, so there's a scene earlier in the episode. This is when you were kind of talking about earlier when Vance was saying that they're conducting military exercises near Kaminar, mm-hmm. Saru's home planet, in an attempt to draw discovery to them. Mm-hmm. And Tilly just says, with no evidence to back it up at all, mm-hmm. maybe for book but she's like she wants our spore drive and i just thought to myself well what why this what <laughs> my, my thought was, does she know what a spore drive is 
Well, right, and this this goes back to this reminds me of that moment last season when they're identifying it's same exact type of moment when they're identifying the threat of control. Well, what happens if control merges with the sphere data? It'll gain. It will sen- become sentient, and we're just like, and and nobody questions it. It's like yeah, everybody okay. No discussion. Yeah, even that. just just a cursory like. What are the options? Like, well, it could become sentient, and a little explainer as to why data come in and say, well, actually, blah, blah, blah. And you present your, like, maybe several people have a theory. One presents the evidence, and this is that, and the Vulcan says, that seems logical. Or, or something at least, to that you wouldn't even say that it's going to happen. You'd be like, well, there's a 99.87% chance that that right. will happen. So, now, for some reason, because I was like, I, wait, I thought she needed dilithium. So now she wants discovery too. Okay. I mean, it makes um, sense she would want it if she knew about it, but we just didn't know she knew about it. And this, or maybe we did because maybe someone said one line that we didn't remember so, because you know we could have seen her with her like lieutenants. That's the thing. That's what I was talking about. Say. So when she Fine. arrives, she comes. She arrives on discovery. They take over discovery, and she says, "I wanted your support." Out. She says the exact same words mm-hmm. that Tilly said forty minutes earlier. Now. I'm going to use Voyager as an example. In this case, everybody who anybody who listens who watches Voyager listening to the show remembers the season two finale when the Kazon captured Voyager, left the crew on a planet. As the, yeah, the season two finale, basics part one. Okay, now, but that moment was alluded to. Well, the 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 idea of the Kazon capturing Voyager was alluded to throughout the season. Okay, it wasn't the... You know, Voyager didn't tell a main story arc each season. That season had, like, little bits and pieces, because it was all leading up to that. Because basically what they were doing was they wanted to write the Kazon off the show. And they were Mm -hmm. writing the final... um, The Kazon swan song, as it was. But they were were leading up to it, right? Right. So you had these little... Sending messages right. of you information watch, to you, the Kazon. You watched some of it. Michael Jonas, he was sending messages to Seska. Seska used to be a Voyager crew member, so obviously she knows a little bit more about the ship than the Kazon do. Um, and they're plotting. She's plotting to take the ship. And they encounter the Kazon throughout the season. They do get away from them. But this background threat is still happening. Right? These are like, you know, one-off encounters. But yeah, eventually... But they're getting more and more information so we, we know that the threat is building we as a viewer are informed we know what's going on yes the crew does not but we, we're aware of it discovery doesn't like to let us know anything that the characters don't know so now obviously the Kazon do capture voyager you know they don't keep it but they capture it nevertheless i would say this the we knew the attempt was coming i think the surprise was that they actually succeeded Right, there was no to your point. There was no moment of Osira in a quick scene by herself with her goons saying, "We need that ship," or something yeah, no. like that. We right? got There's a scene of her killing of her nephew for no reason. Right. So that didn't. I was like, okay, so that. So that goes back to what I said a few weeks ago. Was I? I just feel like there are times this show does not respect the audience. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. They think we don't need it? I mean, obviously it makes sense that if that she would want the spore drive and the dilithium. It but makes perfect sense. But it there's makes no... sense. Doesn't mean you can skip it. Well, exactly. Like, I don't think... I think I'm all for audiences piecing things together, but there are just certain things that 
we that we shouldn't do i don't don't piece things together because the show is poorly written right yeah it's fun to it, theorize it, but yeah yeah well, yeah it's again it's like how do we know that it, it's like the writing is so visible how do we know that she wants to support that because the writers told us that she wants to support that right so um so that that to me was disappointing the other thing again staying on the same theme apparently discovery has a cloaking device for some reason i was okay with that because they got a retrofit and for some reason they only talked they did. remember we even said i even asked remember like weapons why didn't you do anything about weapons well i but i was confused they initiate they initiate the cloaking device and then Osiris ship cloaks too and I did, and I was not simultaneously I was not following what was happening I was very confused why did they both cloak at the same time yeah I don't know I'm like is that a is that a mistake what what is going on yes I can see if they cloaked and then she cloaked like a second after or like a right. five seconds but they cloaked simultaneously but then ultimately it didn't do anything it didn't even matter that they cloaked or not <laughs> no but like no but both then, in, they were both invisible that's for no reason. That's one of those things. And then they didn't do anything. They didn't, like, impulse power and, like, let's sneak around the like, back. They just went invisible and stayed in the same place, as far as I could tell. Okay, here's my thing. If and I, and I don't have a definitive answer on this, but if you're going to reveal that to us, fine. That they have a cloaking device right now and not lead up to it, fine. But this is one of those technologies that could potentially get them out of a jam in an earlier episode. Was there not a moment earlier in the season where they could, that could have come in handy to right. get them out of something? And here's another thing. Did, if I'm not mistaken, did Tilly ask if they had a cloaking device? No, she said it as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah, what about that cloaking device that we got installed? Okay. Well, that's better. And I was like, she wait, what cloaking device? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, so, it's, it's these... This is what I mean when I say I'm into the action, I'm into the plot, but there were just these things around it that I'm just like, what is going on? Like what, yeah. this is not, this is not done properly. Right. And, and we got a list earlier of all the stuff that the, sh- that they got in the retrofit. Why wouldn't they include cloaking? Like why keep that a secret? I don't know what, right. why it was right. a decision. It was either a decision or worse, even worse is they didn't think of it till they needed it. Yeah. Um, I'll tell or you what they decided to keep it from us again because they like to surprise us, but the surprises are frustrating more than anything. I'll tell you something else I'm frustrated by, and I, and this sentiment is being echoed quite heavily on the Trek BBS, and I think mm-hmm. and this episode is a good is a really good example of it. The fact that the sh- we're pointing out, and I totally agree with it, the show has gotten extremely the show is extremely unimaginative when it comes to future technology. There are still these the same tropes that prevent the plot from going... So in other words, what I mean is we have to recharge the shields. Mm-hmm. Radiation. Like, there's no... But in a thousand years, you haven't... Good. Yeah. I like the fact that they had a way to, like, essentially fix your DNA because radiation, the problem with radiation is that it messes with your DNA. But I did like the fact that you can stand it for so many hours because then we just, like, fix your DNA. That well, was kind of good. And let's be honest. Trek technology either moves the plot forward or it prevents it from going forward. It works as the plot needs it to. Right. right? But there's so many of these things 
that are still present as far ahead as they went. They, they've, so I guess what it ultimately comes down to is now Trek obviously is not all about technology. I, I you know, absolutely understand that. But like, there's no the ju- them jumping ahead. Aside from the rearrangement of political blocks and whatnot, nothing feels any different. I think that you right. are neglecting the fact that the nacelles are no longer attached. I, I said it's not all about technology. <laughs> so no, I know it's it's ludicrous. It's it, you know they haven't also they haven't figured out how to fire or warp from cloak yet. We can't spore drive while we're cloaked. Yeah, or warp because you can't fire all those things from the the tropes. Right. right. If you're cloaked, you have to uncloak to fire, and that's when you can locate them and it, all that. It frustrates me that some of the same technological tropes that Trek has suffered from in the past are still present nearly an entire millennia later. Yeah, and the, the weapons are not any better. Well, we still really haven't... The only time we really saw Discovery use its weapons is in Such Sweet Sorrow. Um, a couple of times during the first season when it destroyed the Klingon uh, mothership. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was that. The the thing that <laughs> uh, bugged me when Osiris was on screen talking to Tilly was... Now, I love the fact that Tilly mentioned what you and I had been saying. She was like, yeah, you know, we've defeated you like three, four times already. Yes, I did hate the the one line of like, oh no, that was because we had a structural like whatever. We fixed that. Trust me, we fixed that. But yeah, I'm glad they, they addressed it because it wouldn't have made any sense. Well, I'm glad they addressed it, but like the way they addressed it, she's like, and I assure you, it's been corrected. And I'm like, oh, okay then. Like, oh, never mind. <laughs> it's supposed yeah. to, you know. Yeah, it is. But again, that also feels like they didn't realize that they were. Like decreasing the threat of their enemy until this episode. Oh no, we better fix it. They put in that line of dialogue. That's but how see, it felt. I remember there was a moment in the first. You know, they need. I'm sorry, they need Lorca right now because I'm going to tell you why. When they um, when they defeated the Klingon, it wasn't the Klingon mother. I don't know. I forget what to call it. Not the mothership, but it was the main Klingon vessel last season. It was right before I think they jumped into the mirror universe. Okay. This is a while back. I don't know if you remember this. Um, Discovery was attacking that ship, and it, I remember it was. They kept. They would jump, they would fire oh, on it, they yes. would jump again, fire. And I'm thinking that to myself, why don't you do that? Right, and, and assuming also that you probably have some more um, powerful weapons, we would assume, I assume. a thousand years in the future. Right. You could be jumping around that. Yeah, why well, do they do that every time? But I mean, I'm not going to. Here's the thing I'm not going to blame Discovery for that because that yeah. that attitude also applies to other Trek shows as well. That's true. That's true. And, and I but, guess the point here was that they were overtaken so easily. We want to understand how, how like, behind they are. That we have to feel like, oh, it's going to be well, impossible for them to get the ship back. It's so frustrating because, like, in past Trek shows, you know, you, we've seen demonstrations of, like, intruders beaming aboard and force fields contain them immediately. Like, again, it's a case of the technology works to either serve the plot or prevent it from going forward. And I would say if Trek has a weakness, it's it's that. But And this is the fan base that's going to catch those things. I, I don't like the whole – I've never subscribed to in Trek just the ease of taking over a Federation star. They, just, they do it with such ease. And even a thousand years later, they still – 
930 years later, they still are able to... And, you know, I get it. It's but, not a real world. Though, I mean, the giant tentacles on the ship made me believe that, okay, they're they're very truly that overpowered. Was cool. That was cool. I, I did enjoy that. that I didn't really cool. like the fact that the ship looked so much like other ships we've seen, like uh, uh, Nero and... Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it had that black, spiky kind of vibe to it. Right. But, I mean, that's just what they go to. But like another yeah. issue I had here. I liked that Tilly because you know it. I know it, you could just tell like it's not easy for her, mm. but she knew what she had to do. It was to be very co- confident. Yep. When dealing with Osiris, I did not like how in, in even Tilly made the point like, "Wow, you sound like a you know Earth psychologist in the 20th century," but like it made no sense. The fact that the way she was taunting her was so human and right. so, so like she wouldn't get that. Right, and yeah. also, how does how does she know that Federation officers, Federation captains, have a saying before they warp or whatever? Like, it just See, it all rung it all rung so not true. There's something, and this is there's something alarming to me about that. In that is, and I, the, I I think it was before we were recording. I don't know. I I'm not sure if I need to attribute this to just inconsistent writing or if there's something more afoot here, like. Because it feels like she knows more about about that ship and that crew than she should. So right. now, are the writers just feeding her that, or is because my theory is, you know, is somebody supplying that information to her, right? Like, where is that? Where is that spy, like on Voyager, feeding her that information? I think right. you're being too generous to the show. I probably am. I mean, I try to be. I try to have a positive outlook, but you know, I'm trying to also let go of my expectations on this show sometimes. Because um, that would that would make more. That would at least make some sense that she right. knows because someone's been telling her what happens on the ship. Right. But I would also say the show also has no problem revealing these things in retrospect and not even showing me it at all. Yeah, that's true. So, they can just say next week, like, oh, by the way, this person's been feeding them info right. the whole time. Oh, by the way, Owo has been feeding us information. Wait, what? Right, so they cloned Owo and replaced her with one of their agents right. or something. So stupid. the show has seems to have no problem just revealing that stuff without proper context ahead of time. So it would not be Owo. That would be just. Dis- I think that would be kind of. I think that would be kind of a. You know, that would be kind of a thing. But um, yeah, but I will say um, that was a plop- That was a proper cliffhanger this week. Yes, it was a proper cliffhanger. But apparently, perfect. Discovery and, can jump with other ships too. But okay, I know that was interesting. Yeah, and but I anyway. did like the fact that they show up and they see it. Oh no, we have to go help it, and then boom, they're gone. And it's like, oh my god, we're too late. So now it's like they're totally screwed. They're in deep right. space. And yeah, that was a good but proper cliffhanger. That was a cliffhanger. That I'm like, yes. that, I'm, I, I'm like, okay, that's how you end a show. Yes, definitely. That's how you end a show for the week. I agree. So yeah, I mean. I, again, to reiterate, I'm I'm into the. I was into the story. There was just too much. Around. Oh, and by the way, so Osira. Sorry, I meant to touch on this point of yours. Yeah, how does Osira know that they have a catchphrase? Right. I thought so it would jumpy been, thing. I thought it would have been cute. He calls it the jumpy thing. The jumpy thing. And that's too oddly specific, I think. But I thought it would have been cute, like if she had said engage. 
or hit it. Like if she had actually, if she had just made something up and it just happened to be like Picard or Pikes, <laughs> you know, I thought that would have been funny. Um, or yeah, or like we, we intercepted your like database. What, but here's the thing that I just find a little, I still find um, troubling. I, I still don't know. Like Osira and the Emerald Chain capture the ship. Okay, fine, we got a cliffhanger. But I still don't know what their end game is. What are they ultimately? What are they ultimately trying to do? Well, it sounds like this like is rule of the galaxy. Yeah, I'm piecing this together. Yeah. I think they just want to do their criminal empire unhindered, and Federation is in their way because um, the next time she says, "Oh, and the oh," she says it here, I think, and oh, and the and the Federation headquarter coordinates are already programmed into it. Isn't that nice? Because I think that's what she wants to do is take out Federation because they're um, just getting in the way of expanding their criminal enterprise. Now I get no sense of that on the show. <laughs> but we have to piece it together. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Yeah, we've heard them say this several times throughout the season. In the background, you know, the Emerald Chain is performing military exercises. Okay, so it's clearly some kind of large federation, yeah. if you will, right? But yeah, I feel like. like uh, but don't think, you? I would say think of it like I don't know, like ISIS or a terrorist group mixed with a well, I was mixed say, with a criminal group. Don't you feel like the Emerald Chain was introduced to us as sort of like the sort of like I don't know. Uh, it didn't feel like it was this large sort of organization. It just kind of felt like it was like this like, like a gang, like a gang, exactly. Yeah. And now they've got a military, so I I I don't know. I just yeah, they, nah, 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 they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, well, they are putting out a TV show. It's not, I'm sure it's not easy to do. So kudos to them. Right, but I'm gonna just say you. I think you're giving them too much credit. Um, yeah. Right. I would argue that writing, putting pen to paper, or in this case, fingers to a keyboard, is easier than actually the overall production of it. Yes, and it's also the cheapest thing. As I it's said the before, cheapest all you thing. need is a human and a Google Docs. Right. So, you know, get so, that part right. It doesn't cost anything. It's not like yeah. CG. It's not like making a CG smoke monster metaphor for your fear. I, I don't know... I don't know how I'm going to feel yet when this season ends. I I know that I'm going to maintain frustration because, you know, now, again, we judged last season literally on writing that setting th- things just didn't work. Things didn't make sense. Plot hole here, plot hole there. Right now, mm-hmm. I would say you'll have to tell me if I'm wrong or not. I don't know that I'm really seeing plot holes. I feel like this season it's more about creative decisions. Yeah. There is some structural things, yes. Creative decisions and like quality control. Yes. No one's doing that like final pass to look for bugs to use like another industry's term. Like it, bugs in the script and in the logic of the show. I, the show makes me feel like the way things are spoken of within the context of the show, it makes me feel like there are episodes missing. Like it seems like Important things happen off screen that are just as important, that are every bit as important as what we see on screen. And some things we see on screen seem to have no import. Seem to have no importance. And so I, I think, and that's when I said to you yesterday that I think they just need to forget about these season long story arcs. They're exhausting. I don't think this show does a good job of them. If they, I said, if they just stick with single self contained stories, then I think that's more their speed. I just, I, 
things to me just don't add up well they on could this do show. Them, uh, they could just do them well, too. Well, there's that, too. But, I mean... <laughs> Other shows managed to Maybe do easier it. said than done. I don't know. It's just, like, the show lacks... Again, I go back to what I said a few week, to you last week or the week before last. What is the show about? Right. What's the now, plot of the show? Right. Now, I know each season is different, but imagine if we would be able to say with clear conscience that this season is about Discovery going to the future where the ideals of the Federation have died and they are bringing them back and civilizing uh, the galaxy. How right. great would that be? But we can't say that because that's right. not what because that's the and that's the thing that that's the promise we were sold on early on that that's what yeah. it was going to be about. Yeah, and but no, it's just about a bunch of stuff that happens. That's not and that's not something that you just throw in the background some week. I'm sorry, but you don't do that. No, that should be the main theme. That's the theme. The one of the that you show. hit on again and again and again. Right now, if you need to encounter um, Osira, you need to solve the burn. Fine. But you can't lose sight of the fact that you need to, you want to restore the Federation. Now, does that happen after this whole burn thing? Does that become the theme after the burn is resolved? Maybe. I, Maybe. I, I don't, I'm not. Maybe we'll I'm get like, hoping. Maybe next week they solve the burn and, and defeat Osira, and then the next episode is like they spread Federation ideals, which would be a garbage way to do it, I think. But Well,. That's why I say, well, like, here's the episode where we do the ideal stuff. Well, but so again, I'm I'm gonna get too hopeful here. That's where this planet becomes. This that's where this dilithium nursery becomes important, right? So you get Osira and the Emerald Chain out of the way. Hey guys, we found this dilithium nursery. Mm-hmm. Is and this we now? We killed that kid, so he's not gonna mess it up anymore. Is this now? Or yeah. However, that gets resolved, right? But focus on that planet for a second. Okay, there's yeah. a, there's a dilithium shortage, right? Is this where that? Okay, now we have resources to get everything back to the way it was. Is that where that begins? Is this the hurdle first that has to be dealt with before that's the case? Maybe. I'm probably giving them too much credit in that sense, but I guess in a way it makes sense. I would just I just fear that if that they can't. My point is, they can't stick with something for too long before they either forget it altogether or just throw it in the background and focus on something else that's not as important or not as compelling. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's the problem. Like, yeah. So yeah. you may give and, me and that illusion of that hope at the end of the season. I don't think you're going to stick with it the next season. No way. No way. Right. So that. That's where I continue to be frustrated with the show. The fact that I can't, you and I cannot sit here and say what the show's about, that's a major problem. It's tough. And it's, um, you know, we've, I think we've, I, I think now we have a sample size large enough to just know this is just the show. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I was thinking my last point on all of this, you know, you had been saying to me over the course of a few weeks, you know, you just need to forget about it and just, kind of accept it for what it is and one thing i saw somebody say one time is they said it's fine if you don't think too much about it <laughs> i'm like well but that's like, not fun but the thing is now granted granted i don't want to sit here and continue to do a podcast week after week where i just complain right, right? now if i adopt that attitude if i don't think about it too much i wouldn't do a podcast anyway <laughs> What's but the point? at the same time i would be doing if if i adopted that attitude yeah, I would. We would be doing 
the listeners a disservice. I would be doing myself a disservice. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's not fair. Yeah. We we talk about Star Trek Discovery. We talk about the other shows, too. Good or bad. Right, yes. And I think that if we took that attitude, then why would anyone want to listen to us if we were not even thinking about the show? No, that's, that's where we become, like, apologists. That's when, yeah, yeah I don't know. Just, I don't know, you just become a cheerleader. Which, right, like... Which, you know, yeah. some of the shows that I listen to are, pod, are YouTube channels and podcasts. The ones that really drive me crazy are the ones that are just cheerleaders, that just are right. positive no matter what. You know, we've got to be honest here. If the show succeeds, we say so. We If we think it succeeds, we say so. If we don't think it succeeds, we, we also say so. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If, I, mean, I will admit, though, that over time, I think that, you know, we go back to the saying, fool me once. Right. Shame on uh, you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. But our our mm, willingness to be generous to the show has has dried up. Now, granted, I would love to say more th- than ever that the show succeeds. But you know, I don't know. I what the, like the better, we don't give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't anymore. know what the ratio is. Yeah. If something doesn't make sense, I think now we kind of know that. Well, that's just they probably just messed it up because right. We've already spent two seasons thinking oh well you know oh it might be this so they're probably going to explain it later and it just doesn't happen right and and i'll also say this one last thing so i i did not enjoy the last jedi or rise of skywalker for that matter and the reason i bring this up is because at the time i would see a lot of people on the internet say to somebody who didn't enjoy it they say well you just didn't understand it no, I understood it perfectly, and I did. Like, it, it, there seemed to be this environment where, like, you just you were not allowed to dislike something. Whereas if you did, that meant there was something wrong with you. That right, the movie yes. was Difference infallible. Difference of opinion. Right. Difference of opinion is like uh, an attack. Exactly. On someone. As if to say, like, as if to suggest, whatever media I'm referring to is infallible. Like, no. If it's not good. If I did not enjoy it, I'm going to say why. I'm not going to say – I'm not going to state it as fact. I'm going to state it as my opinion. Okay, that's that's the difference. People tend to state their hatred as fact and try to want to shit it on shit on it for everybody else. Yes. Right? I don't like it and I move on. Right. Or, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it reminds me of a message I saw once where someone – it was just on like – you know, uh, I forget what – some comment on like a more casual like news – website sci-fi news thing or something and someone's like oh i can't wait to watch picard like i'm gonna get a free trial next week and you know i really love next generation and the first comment was like don't waste your time and explaining right. like, why it was bullshit right and it's like just people want to watch stuff and make their own opinion people want to watch <laughs> like, why do you have to tell them like because if you're doing them a favor i'll oh, save you wasting your time because it's right bullshit but because of this and this also you like hypothetically, like some, hypothetically like you. It. If you're gonna be an asshole, fine. But like hypothetically, you, it's like you may watch it for different reasons than what I watch than I watched it for. So yeah, so what I enjoy it from is maybe something that you hate. Yeah, I'm being so, generous and, there, but yeah. especially with Picard because it's like you know, it's sure feelings were mixed, but some people liked it, some people didn't like it. Yeah, I mean, I think what what stuff like this comes down to is that. It's 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 an art it's it's critiquing it's artwork critiquing, right? I mean that's it's people like different things for different reasons and they hate different things for different. Some just hate stuff to be assholes, right? Because so, they're just 
Yeah, they're empty right. inside. Because we live in a very lash out. We live in a very um, sort of inflamed uh, time when it's uh, to be a fan of something. So, anything else on this episode you want to cover before we wrap up? Did we miss anything? Let's see. Oh, I did like. So we did talk about the um, the fact that it was a proper cliffhanger. I love that the last line was "We're too late." Cut. That was yeah. excellent. Yeah. Um, let me just. Oh, I have two more things to mention though, and then I'm then I'm, then I'm done. Okay. Oh, uh, one three more things, thing. Actually, three things actually. Three things actually. A little bit. Um, uh, also, just another missed opportunity. Yeah. So there's this famous um, story. And it's used in, when talking about philosophy and whatnot, uh, Plato's cave. So the philosopher Plato came up with this thought experiment or something about if there were a cave and the people in it could only see like the shadows of the real world because they were facing toward the back of it. And they would only understand that as being the real world. And like, mm. uh, I, I haven't read it in a while, but, you know, kind of just the implications of that. And it, it's something that's kind of referenced with um, the Matrix and whatnot. So. But it set up this interesting thing with that could have been done with Tukal about how he's only ever experienced this hologram world, so it could have been a, a Plato's cave type situation, but they are not really doing that either. Mm. And I do think that space is looking particularly good. <laughs> you know, I do I love this trend now where space instead of it just being space is a dark expanse with stars that it, we're seeing more of these like nebulas and like, the, 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 yeah, all the weird things. Like when you look at the NASA deep space photography, all the strange clouds, the things. special effects on the show are just unreal. And like, yeah, yeah, they, it was so wasted on the monster. That's what I felt in that whole environment. I just felt like that was a pointless use. And, and it even crossed my mind too. Imagine if next gen had a scene and now we always go back to it, but where it was someone who was raised by, um, uh, you know, the holodeck, mm. it would have been this like sterile environment. And I think that would have just made more sense. Right. Then it's a castle looking thing that's falling apart. And it just made no sense to me. I, I think what I would have liked to have seen because those holograms were flickering in and out to see some of the imperfections in the holodeck itself, like seeing flashes of like, maybe the program isn't fully, you know, you see the grid, the grid walls or something. Yes. Yeah. Because that would have been cool as it is. It was, I, just it, it felt like um oh i just this didn't feel good just it give me an idea right. i just got an idea for the i just got an idea to add drama on the show okay imagine if the holodeck was threat was like running out of power and if it did then and he doesn't know what the hell's going on he has another meltdown and then he causes another burn there's the, oh, yeah, there's the threat oh i'm not saying it's a great idea but at least there would have been maybe some drama there. Like, yeah. We got to fix this quickly because if the holodeck goes down, he's going to have yeah. a meltdown, then cause another burn. Cause another burn. There's your totally. drama. Maybe. I don't know. And um, as it is, they were just in this environment. It looked like if I remembers the movie Sucker Punch, I know it kind of came and went. It disappeared. But well, that's what it feels like, though. It's a very yeah, bad sucker punch. Like, um, So I really quick, with Osira taking – I have three things I need to bring up, but let me just go in this order. With Osira taking Discovery um, – I have a theory. During the standoff between Tilly and Osira, Tilly threatens to self-destruct Discovery twice. We saw that they could not do that last season because the sphere data was protecting the ship. Do you think that maybe the evolution of Discovery's AI may save the day? Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be cool. 
Actually, yeah, that would be great. Because we did mention that early on, that we're, we're concerned that this doesn't seem, this is not a bigger deal to them than we feel it should be. Yeah, but the right, AI right. has but they have, kind of, yeah. But for them, this is that was very for this show that was very well seeded because we've heard about it twice now. Right. So that's you know that's above and beyond for the show. Mm. So for that, um, I think I'd that be into be that cool. idea. I mean, it does say that Tilly does say like I have a plan. Right. But yeah, the, it makes sense that the AI because when when the, the AI would know that Osiris is not supposed to be running the ship. Correct. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I do have one question about the plot with Adira and Gray. Okay. Oh, yeah, that was, that was fun. I like it. I enjoy it. I love their relationship. I think it's beautifully done and performed by them. Is there a mystery behind why they're seeing Gray and why Gray is going away? Like, is there something that needs to be answered there? Because I, I just feel like there needs to be. We don't, don't really know. He said, like, yeah, I went away to go find myself. But I'm still not clear why you're seeing him in the first place. So. I, I feel like it's a second. I don't, I don't think so. I think mean, it's just, if anything, it's a relationship sort of arc. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, resolve this by the end of the season or the show is, you know, it's going to, I'm going to get frustrated. But, but I just, I wonder, is it. Is this leading to something? Is this, is this, is this, in other words, I, I just want to make sure it's not posing questions that I'm not asking. No, I don't think so. But I did just, you did just make me realize something. Yeah. And I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going so specific with my predictions as I mm. sometimes do. Cause sometimes I like to put it all in the line. You ready? Yep. Cause when you mentioned that situation, I remembered the song. We don't know anything about the song yet. The song, the song was the distress what? call. What? The song was the distress call. The song is also, it's going to be more. It's going to be the song that Tukal used to sing to, that uh, Tukal's mom used to sing to him. Mm. And that's why, because we should, oh, we know it's a distress call, but we still don't know why every galaxy was singing it. Why are they, yeah, yeah. And it's what why, it is. We, we got Gray the what. Was playing it, yeah, Gray was playing it on the cello. We so, got the what, just not the why. Yeah, so it's yeah. this, and I think that was, and, and the groundwork's laid in the Elder singing the lullaby to Saru. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lullaby that was sung to to call by the mom, and it was when the mom died. She was singing that lullaby when he had his meltdown, and so I know it do- sounds like it doesn't make sense, but that's typical. But when point, he yeah. melted down all the dilithium, he also sent that melody into the galaxy. And you think that's why they're all hearing it? Yep. Okay. Um, my last note, really quick. The scene with Culber and Stamets before they go down to the planet. Yeah. Now, Culber tells Stamets that he wants to go because he feels that he needs to. Right now, I get it. You're trying to do a character moment. That's fine. But nobody goes on away missions because they were meant to. They go on away missions because they are qualified in a specific area. Yeah. Based on their skill. Yeah, yeah. Could you imagine that someone going to Kirk and being like, I just don't think I'm meant to go on this away mission. Right, Kirk like, would be like, what? When, oh God, what the fuck was the episode? I think it was Shore Leave. I don't remember. There was some moment. No, it was Space Seed. Space Seed. When they find, they find the Botany Bay drifting in space, they're 
getting the landing party ready to go over there, and Kirk specifically states, and they find out that the ship is from the late 20th century, and Kirk specifically states, make sure you bring... Uh, I'm going to paraphrase, but make sure you bring that Lieutenant MacGyver is because she specializes in 20th century history. Or something. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but yeah. the point is he mentioned that person has that skill. They have to come with us. Yes, yes. Right? But I think it's already been very well established that this doesn't operate but, like normal federation. Right. But I mean, I, I consider, just, too, that the away team had a group hug before they went their separate ways. Kirk would not call in the away team for a group hug. Did Stamets forget that joining Starfleet was... There's risks involved, right? Like, I get the emotional side of it, right? Yeah, no, dude. You're, you're, your partner's going down to a unsafe planet. Please be careful. No, don't go. Him. Like, I don't... Yeah. And he's needed because he has medical expertise. I almost wanted—I almost wanted Koa to be like, "You're going to tell me the dangers. I'm a doctor. You're going to tell me the dangers of radiation exposure. I know what the risks are." Yeah, yeah. It was um, imagine somebody close. saying that to McCoy. You're going to tell me. <laughs> Why is <laughs> it? Yeah. Imagine anyone thinking about McCoy's emotions for anything. <laughs> right. I mean, there's. So I, I get that. I just think that. And to your point, we are all sensitive to each other's feelings, and I, that's great. I, I love it. In that, in that moment, it doesn't work because, as I said, you're brought on an away mission because you 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 have a certain you possess a skill that is necessary for the mission to succeed, not yeah, because you not are a, meant to do something. It's not a personal growth experience that you have right. decided to undertake. But I will argue. That's something, now if they feel that way, that's something they go to the captain to and say, can I join the away mission because of XYZ? Right, and maybe they'll hear them out, maybe they'll do it. But yeah, it's it's very free, it's very more free for all, the, this the Starfleet. Right. You know, you kind of just do whatever, and not whatever, but you know. You have right. a lot more autonomy to make your own decisions. Well, overall... Um, yeah, I mean, I know we went on a bit about some frustrations, but I, again, I think on its own, it's great. It's, I think we were running into problems with the show where it began to tie into everything else around it that just made it a little frustrating. But yeah, and too much metaphor on its on its own. I I, I enjoyed the episode. I was I was really into it. I'm much more into seeing how they're going to get out of the situation with the chain than I am about how they're going to handle uh, Tukal. Yeah. yeah. For all I care, they could just Tukal could just die. I just At the beginning of next episode. I'd be happy with that. I just got to say, I think I said this before. Given the way Osira, given the demonstration we saw of the way Osira behaves and whatnot, I just I would have loved to have seen Giorgio. Just have one scene with her. Mm. I think that yeah. just would have been great. Yeah. Oh, you know what else would have been kind of neat? Mm. If if uh, uh, Tilly had actually used like a Giorgio line to show like, oh, she learned something from Giorgio, that would have been kind of cool. Okay. Yeah. One of her, I, I don't know, I can't think of it in specific. You know, she has all those great insults. Yeah. That would have been kind of fun. Well, next week is the penultimate episode of the season. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so get ready for it. Next week, still predict we're going to see Tukal's mom die Yep. while singing him the lullaby, and then he's going to have his meltdown and cause the burn. 
So next week's episode is called There Is a Tide. Now, I'm going to do something that you used to do in season one of the show. And I'm only going to do it because it's right here in front of me. So check this out. The title of this episode is taken from a line... Shakespeare! Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. The relevant passage reads, There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted all voyage... Omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shadows and in miseries. Okay. On such a full sea, we are now afloat, and we must take the current where it serves or lose our ventures. Okay. So you have to act at the at the moment. Um, the time, yeah, you have to like follow the. You want to translate? Of, you want to translate, Professor? Well, yeah. There's a time when it's so you gotta like. I miss. I, I, say, I miss can, you doing this. Sorry. Okay. There's a tide. It hasn't come up. Yeah. There's a tide that comes. Sort of like there's a way that the tide is turning when fortune like, and fate and the yeah. events are kind of pushing in a direction, and you can either like go with it and, and yeah. rise to success, or you can like try to avoid it or resist it, and then you will yeah. not go on to success. Can you use this? as a way to theorize of what we could see. Can you read into this in any way? Mm, lost our Well, I guess so. If their venture is to repair Starfleet to its once great state, they've mm-hmm. discovered this planet of dilithium, so they should take advantage of that. Okay. And maybe... I don't know. I want to say somehow this is going to lead to the death of Saru. You're still hanging with Saru? A little bit. Mm-hmm. Something about... Because I, I, here's two things. One, that kid cannot stake around. No. Because the kid could get sad and destroy the galaxy. So, that kid can't stick around. They, she, I, he, I he needs Counselor feeling, Troy. I have a feeling Saru's going to die. That kid needs Counselor Troy. Yeah, it doesn't count so dry. I feel... I, think about... Actually, not to do it again, but imagine how much better would that be than a smoke monster would be Troy saying, I sense fear in him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but well, then you see this smoke monster that Michael tries to fight, and just, why, man? Whatever they... Whatever happens with that kid, I I mean, I I, I would like there to be a scene where having that moral dilemma. What do we do? We can't just leave him here. He's living in a fantasy. What do we do? Take him back to Kaminar and just, in, you know, force him into society to live like a, to live like a Kelpian. Like, I feel like there's, there's potential in there for one of those moral. Yes. What, and what I do think we do that with Saru's going to offer himself to do something. So maybe he won't die. Maybe he'll leave. With it. Saru will go and care for him. Yeah. That's my theory. I feel like there would be. I feel like if this were the next generation, there would there would be a moral debate in there somewhere with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That would be how great ethically. Like, yeah. So this dude, he's so mentally unstable. If we let him live, he could destroy the. He could destroy all dilithium again. But we can't just kill him, can we? Yeah. That. Oh, that would be fantastic. And Troy, and be like, you know, well, do you know what that would do to him if we take him away from this planet, everything that he's known? Yeah, and then right. Picard would have a monologue about what's right. Right. <laughs> right. 
I and here's the thing. I can even imagine how this would go on Voyager. Like Seven of Nine would be like, take him away from this planet. It's not worth protecting. And Jamie would be like, who are you to decide that? Seven. <laughs> yeah, she would say he must be eliminated. They would, right. She would just say kill him. Yeah. And then you a great Janeway. And then, ah. And then Jane would be like, and then Seven would somehow turn it back on. You took me away from the, the Borg or something like that. Like and <laughs> parallel herself somehow yes. with that. Yep. And then Jane would be like, ah. And then later she would realize that she's right. It just makes me so. You know, ha- saying, just doing what I just did with two ep- with either with two it ep- with two shows, it yeah. just makes me so mad. It makes me happy that I know Trek that well, but it makes me so mad that Discovery does not do that. Right. And, you know, we're not. Yeah, just we can spitball stuff that's better. And, I, you know, this is I know that this is the claim that's made by a lot of people and usually they're wrong. Right. But we're right. Cause we don't do this a lot. This is not usually what we do. And look, we usually I'm say, like, this would have been better, but. Right. And it's almost like throwing out options of how there are so many better options. I'm just going to say, like, I'm going to apologize in advance only because it makes me feel like I'm coming off as pompous. Right. Saying, like, I'm better to do this than, you know, I would never say that. I just know from a from the world of Star Trek, I can see how this would be handled better on other shows, and yes. I know what those other shows would do. And I know Discovery is not Next Generation; it's not Voyager. Right. But at the core of those shows has that moral ethical debate. Yes, in so many situations on Discovery, it's like those are they set up a premise that is just calling out for these type of things right for these type of situations and yet they've gone like 75 percent of the way they created the situation for it but they never seem to close the deal by doing it remember how happy we were on new eden when pike and burnham had that moment of like do we reveal ourselves to jacob and tell him who we are or do you just let him live in that fantasy world and pike ultimately says we can't and then pike changes his mind and tells like but there was this that it was great, yes. Yeah, yes. and we were so happy when that happened, and we have mm-hmm. not really seen it since. We've gone on for too long, but uh, yeah, so we're going to be back next week with the penultimate episode, and I think, is this our last episode of the year? Oh, the year, yeah. 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 And then only one episode into next year, and then we you know, take our break. Well, no, but I'm sorry. This recording that we're doing is our last episode of the year. The next, oh, this next... is the last. Wait, New Year's is before then. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the next episode of Discovery releases on New Year's Eve. Oh, uh, we probably won't yeah. record it then. So, we... What? We probably won't record it on New no. Year's Eve. Um, but we are now recording our last episode of the year. Of 2020. Of 2020. Yeah. So, right. I guess... Not to, I mean, year. I know we're only five days away, but... Um, or six days away from 2021, but I guess it's appropriate to tell the listeners to uh, have a happy and safe new year. Or to say it in my Boston accent, have a have a happy new year. New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. And we will. S- <laughs> and we will see all of you in 2021. Later, skaters. Peace out. <laughs>